Hi, this is Karin Sessis of ASCOA Online. European leadership is having a decidedly Spanish moment. Not only did Spain take over the rotating six-month presidency of the European Union at the start of July, but the EU's foreign policy chief, Josep Borrell, is a Spaniard himself. For Latin America, this could present a big opportunity. Profundizar los lazos de la Unión Europea con América Latina y el Caribe. Y este año empezamos. Borrell said at the beginning of the year that he wants to use this Spanish moment to focus on Latin America. As part of that commitment, the EU will host its third joint summit with CELAC, or the Community of Latin American and Caribbean States, on July 17th and 18th. The forum is the first since 2015. Well, I think there'll be two things that dominate the media coverage of the summit. One is Ukraine, and the other is whether or not the presidents of Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua attend. That's Michael Reed, a journalist, writer, and visiting professor in practice at the London School of Economics. He spoke to my colleague Chase Harrison about the sticking points between the regions, including views on the war in Ukraine, environmental concerns, and democratic backsliding. Reid also spoke about the long-running attempt at a free trade agreement between the EU and Mercosur, an economic bloc of four countries in South America. If EU-Mercosur doesn't happen, and if the current centre-right government in Uruguay was re-elected, then you might well see Uruguay just seeking to negotiate its own deal with the EU, which would leave the future of Mercosur in question. So where do EU-Latin American relations stand? And can this Spanish moment produce a Latin American one as well? Stay tuned and find out. You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latino America in Foco. America Latina in Foco podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas, on politics, economics, and culture in the region. Michael, welcome to the Latin America in Focus podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be with you. I saw a a funny quote from an anonymous source from the European Union in DW, and he said that Latin America for Europe is like an old boyfriend or girlfriend that you take for granted And then when things are getting difficult, you understand how important these people or these countries are. What is right now this difficult moment that's causing leaders to look towards Latin America to rekindle this relationship? Well, I think that's fair comment. It's it's two things, isn't it? It's it's the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has brought uh, war to Europe, uh, interstate warfare in in a large scale for the first time certainly since the Balkan Wars of the 1990s. And then secondly, the the growing strategic rivalry with China. And um, the EU, I think, uh, looks at the world and thinks that it needs to shore up some diplomatic alliances. But there are two difficulties with that. One is that um, Latin America doesn't like being taken for granted. Uh, Beyond one or two things, it's not clear what 
concrete initiatives the EU is offering. And the second thing is the complete disorganization of internal disorganization of Latin America. I mean, this is the first summit between uh, the EU and CELAC, uh, the community of uh, Latin American and Caribbean nations, for eight years. They, They were supposed to be every two years. And their absence has been because of internal disagreements within Latin America. And that's principally to do with Venezuela and Cuba and Nicaragua, the dictatorships. So is Latin America about promoting democracy or or not? It's also about the difficulty that Latin America has had recently in presenting a common front to the world more generally. Right. And Ukraine is one issue where you see this disjointed approach from Latin America. You know, you have some countries speaking in favor of Ukraine, but there's also a lot of countries that have maintained neutrality or promoted non-intervention in the region with this conflict. It's something that certainly has frustrated the European Union, which has gone through concerted efforts to court Latin America. German President Olaf Scholz was in the region a couple months ago. EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen was in the region. In the CELAC EU summit, which takes place July 17th to 18th, do you think that this Ukraine issue is going to dominate Um, the regional forum? And do you think that there is any way that the EU is going to be able to move the needle on this issue? Well, I think there'll be two things that dominate the media coverage of the summit. One is Ukraine, and the other is whether or not the presidents of Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua attend. The substance, there'll be discussions about other things uh, as well, um, particularly trade and economic relations. Now, I think there's been some disappointment and uh, surprise, which um, there shouldn't really have been surprise, but there's been disappointment in Europe that Latin America hasn't uh, bought into uh, the European vision of the war in Ukraine, uh, which is that it was an unprovoked aggression. It is a battle between democracy and tyranny. As you say, um, a few Latin American countries have given support to Ukraine. Most have voted with Europe and the United States in the UN General Assembly on broad resolutions. None have adopted sanctions and none have agreed to ship arms. And I think there's a mixture of things there. Um, There are a few countries which are Russian allies. The dictatorships are Russian allies and Russia has been actively propagandizing in Latin America its view that the conflict is is really a a NATO uh, war against Russia. Then you have a desire of quite a number of countries not to take sides in the world. Um, And that's because relations with their economic ties with China are increasingly important. And they don't want to be forced to pick between the West and China for good economic reasons. And then there are those who have gone beyond a position of neutrality. And Lula in particular, I think, has surprised people by... Instead of saying that uh, Brazil is neutral, he essentially adopted some of the Russian talking points, uh, blaming um, NATO f- uh, for the war and saying that um, and saying that uh, Zelensky and Putin bear equal responsibility and things like that, which Europe uh, uh, obviously rejected. Right. And Lula's comments around Ukraine and Russia came right at the start of his presidency and right in this moment where there was a lot of hope throughout the world and the international community that Lula's would take this new place on the global stage and would bring Brazil back to global leadership. 
And I, I think that is part of the reason why there was a lot of hope in the European Union for re-engagement with Latin America, because they felt that that Lula would be this friendly figure to them, that he had spoken in favor of closer ties, that he had spoken in favor of, for example, the Mercosur-EU free trade agreement, which we can talk about. But now, half a year into Lula's term, has Lula been the president that the European Union hoped he would be for Brazil? No, I think he hasn't. And that's not altogether surprising. I mean, Lula is a complex figure. He is personally a Democrat. He would like to have um, good relations in principle, I think, with the West. But, you know, he believes in a multipolar world in which he would like Brazil to be a pole. Uh, relations with China are very important. To an extent, Brazilian foreign policy has moved back to its traditional institutional stance run by the professionals at the foreign ministry, which was interrupted under Jair Bolsonaro, who adopted a kind of uh, a personal foreign policy of echoing Donald Trump. So I think Lula has overplayed his hand. And quite a lot of the things, or two or three things that he said that have surprised people and disappointed people in Europe have been unscripted. And um, one can speculate as to why, but uh, they don't necessarily represent the um, uh, the institutional position of uh, uh, Brazilian foreign policy. Mm. You know, you said in an interview with Confidencial with Carlos Chamorro that when it comes to the CELAC EU summit, you think that there's going to be a dialogue in which neither side is listening to another. And it sounds like your comments on Lula indicate uh, exactly that. Are there areas where the EU and Latin America are listening to each other? Where are the fruitful areas for cooperation here? Well, I think there is a potentially very important agenda. Um, I mean, the EU, as a consequence of what we've just discussed, of its realization that it, it needs to be more active diplomatically in the world, and particularly in, in the democratic parts of the world. Borrell has put forward a proposal for more regular summits, for a permanent coordination mechanism of some kind for the relationship between the EU and Latin America. And there is the EU-Mercosur trade agreement, which, you know, negotiations began in 1999. I wrote a story um, when they began. <laughs> and, you know, 24 years later, the, the agreement is still not uh, in existence. Right? It was approved in 2019, but it hasn't been ratified by anybody, right? Or just before it was approved, uh, Jair Bolsonaro became president of Brazil and proceeded to dismantle environmental protections in, in Brazil, which for a mixture of idealistic and self-interested reasons, the EU took as a signal not to ratify the agreement. It now wants a side letter with, with stricter envir environmental protections. But there are several countries uh, in, the, in the EU so which, which have never been particularly keen on this agreement because Mercosur is much more competitive in agriculture than uh, European farmers. And so they worry about the uh, countries like France, Ireland, Austria, and now uh, the Netherlands and Belgium as well are not enthusiastic about this agreement. That on the one hand. On the other hand, Lula is not enthusiastic about the agreement either, and nor is the current Argentine government, although it's on the way out. Lula 
worries that, uh, well, firstly, he doesn't like being dictated to on the environment for sovereignty reasons. But, but secondly, he worries that the agreement would, uh, because the EU is more competitive in manufacturing than Brazil, would uh, speed the deindustrialization of Brazil. But there will be a push to try and to try and agree to wrap up this disagreement about the environment. Ursula von der Leyen, the, the EU Commission president, has said she'd like to do it by the end of the year. But I think it, it's looking pretty unlikely that, that it will ever be ratified, this deal, or at least in the foreseeable future, which I think is a big missed opportunity because that would be part of a positive agenda between the EU and Latin America. The agreement as it stands seeks to strike down about 90% of the, the trade tariffs between these two regions. But given all the concerns you just brought up, and it seems the lack of political capital, is there a version of the Mercosur-EU trade agreement that is less complete than the one that's currently on the table? Might they go for a, a smaller version that still maintains some level of protectionism? I think that's unlikely. I, I mean, this thing took so long to negotiate. And you would have to start from scratch to do that. Lula has talked about reopening it. I mean, not just mm. arguing about the environmental side letter, but reopening the main agreement. And, you know, frankly, I think that would mean it would be dead. Well, Mercosur is only four countries in Latin America. It's Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, and Paraguay. But Latin America and the Americas are a big region. Are there other places the EU is looking to expand their commercial and trade ties? Well, yes. I mean, they've been um, negotiating modernizations of existing trade and cooperation agreements with, uh, with Mexico and Chile and uh, some of the Andean countries. And I think if EU-Mercosur doesn't happen, and if the current centre-right government in Uruguay was re-elected, then you might well see Uruguay just seeking to negotiate its own deal with the EU, which would leave the future of Mercosur in question. And would that generate animosity towards the EU? Of course, under Mercosur countries, the four countries are not allowed to make individualized agreements with other actors in terms of trade ties. That's correct. Although, you know, they're supposed to have a common foreign trade policy. And in practice, that's, um, it's full of holes, no? Mm. Would it generate resentment towards the EU? Perhaps. But I don't know. I think the underlying problem in Latin America has been that efforts at regional integration and foreign policy have been subject to the whims of um, the government of the day, the president of the day, uh, without an attempt to identify underlying national interest and to seek domestic consensuses, to be able to put forward some kind of uh, clear and lasting position in, in the world. You know? I mean, there have been one or two little straws in the wind that that could change. Gabriel Boric in Chile, when he took office last year, said explicitly that integration should not be just with your friends. It should be with your neighbors. No? And actually, at the South American summit that uh, Lula convened uh, a couple of months ago, the headlines were dominated by his decision to invite Nicolas Maduro ahead of the summit and his unscripted comments. But in the substance of the summit, there was some recognition that integration need to be based on more permanent interest. But it will take a while, I think, before 
there'll be progress on that. But that you know that would be progress if it were to were to happen. Right, and perhaps who better to advocate and show the potential of integration than the European Union itself? But looking at Venezuela, as you brought up, the democratic crisis in Venezuela has been an issue that's roiled Latin American integration over the past few decades. Um, but CELAC, for example, at one point was this forum where Sebastián Pinera, who's from the right and of the president of Chile, and Nicolas Maduro once were in conversation and signing agreements together. On the Venezuela issue, it is a place where the European Union has had a fair bit of leadership. And I'm thinking specifically of the fact that in the 2021 regional and local elections in Venezuela, the European Union was allowed to send an electoral observation party. It was the first observers in the country in 15 years. Is the Venezuela democratic crisis an area where the EU can show its potential for regional leadership as opposed to an actor like the United States or China and Russia? Well, that's the logic of inviting Venezuela and, and Cuba and Nicaragua, no? and potentially the EU could have influence. But I think one has to be realistic. I mean, I think there has been regress in Venezuela in the last two or three years. I think uh, Maduro thinks he's in a much stronger position than he was three or four years ago. In practice, uh, I mean, the one concrete change that came out of the negotiations in Mexico, which was suspended a while back, was that uh, was a new electoral authority in which the opposition had two representatives. Well, Maduro has just torpedoed that uh, and wants, wants to set up a, another new electoral authority in which the opposition uh, role will be much diminished. He's trying to prevent the opposition from holding primaries. He's just suspended, disqualified rather, as a potential candidate, Maria Corina Machado, now the most important leader of the more radical faction of the opposition inside Venezuela. So I think he's going to try and get away with an election without EU supervision and with no concessions to the opposition. And then you're in the dilemma of, you know, what can you do about that in the outside world? And the answer may be not very much. Hmm. Right. It seems like the EU is consistently stuck between a rock and a hard place, as the rest of the world is on a lot of these issues and is struggling to figure out how to leverage its influence. And to conclude, I wanted to return to this notion you brought up earlier of you know, this multipolar world that Latin America is operating in, that you have several countries trying to exert political or economic influence on the region. And one of those actors, of course, is the European Union. Is the European Union's influence in the region just inevitably going to continue to fade? Or is there anything that can happen in this Latin American moment for the EU that could see it reassert itself against China or the United States or just as its own independent actor in the region? Well, the EU remains an important economic partner you know, for, for Latin America, particularly in, in the Mercosur region. You know, it is the largest single foreign investor in Latin America. It is now the third and not the second uh, biggest trade partner now behind the US and China. To the extent that Latin America remains a mainly democratic region, then I think the EU does have soft power as a powerful democratic actor. No? And in terms of values and culture, I think a lot of Latin Americans feel closeness to the EU. I think the EU did have quite a lot of influence during the period of democratization in, in Latin America, the, the late 70s to early 90s. I think it has faded since then. 
partly because of the EU has its own internal preoccupations to do with its uh, well with its governance. Then there was Brexit. It's I mean the Sp- the Spanish presidency has to deal with other issues which are much more immediate for for Europe, which include support for Ukraine, but they also include trying to reach some kind of agreement about how to deal with immigration. I think the other thing which I can't stress highly enough is that, you know, Latin America back in the 1990s did have a much less disunited position in the world. I think Hugo Chavez was extremely disruptive of that. And I think, you know, since then, Latin America has been immersed in its own internal arguments. It's telling that, you know, the G20, three of its 20 members are Latin American, Brazil, Mexico, and Argentina. And they have never coordinated their position ahead of G20 summits, which ought not to be too difficult to do. So I'm afraid, um, I think there's um, a long road ahead. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the Latin America in Focus podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us today. I'm your host, Karin Zissis. This episode was produced by John Orbach and our executive producer, Luisa Lemmy. The music in this podcast is La Pollera Colora by Carlota Santana for America Society. Check the podcast notes for links to the full video and find out about upcoming concerts at musicoftheamericas.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'd love to get your feedback so you can email us at latamfocus at as-coa.org. And as always, subscribe so you never miss an episode of Latin American Focus. You can give us a follow on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>